Welcome everyone to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we bring out just some of the seasonings of the Torah portion that are found only in the, the Hebrew letters and numbers and, and some of the odd things and peculiarities in the Hebrew and in the Torah scroll. Uh, this week's Torah portion is Ki Tavo, which means when you come, and it covers Deuteronomy 26 to 30. So let's dive in. Now, as we did with last week, I want to take the last verse of the previous Torah portion and the first verse of this Torah portion and put them together. And when we do, we find a bridge between the two and a, a message, I think, an insight that is very valuable. So, Kitetse, last week's Torah portion ends with, You shall wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget and I shared with you last week about how when a, uh, a scribe is making a Torah scroll, if he has to make a new quill pen, he tests the pen out by first writing the name Amalek and then crossing it out. And if everything looks good, he goes ahead and continues to use that new pen for making his Torah scroll. Amalek, as I mentioned, always represents the flesh. It means people of licking up. It represents that part of us that wants to engage with the earth uh, like an animal. And uh, if we want to be human beings, we don't want to indulge the Amalek that we carry around in our flesh. So that was the last verse of last week's Torah portion. And the first verse of Kitavo says, It shall be when you enter the land that Adonai your God gives you. And the rabbis see in this a continuation. They're saying, if you truly want to enter the land spiritually, if you want to come to a place of fruitfulness in your spiritual walk, you must erase Amalek from your life. And in every area of your life where you defeat Amalek, in that area of your life, you begin to experience the blessings of the Holy Land. You begin to experience its fruitfulness, its joy, its peace. So we want to take each area of our life and, and conquer Amalek so that we can bring that part of our life into a place of fruitfulness, bring it to its goal. Now, the word you enter, of course, is one word in Hebrew, and it's the word tavo. That's where we get the name for portion, ki tavo, when you enter. And the rabbis note that if you swap the first and last letters of that word, it becomes the word avot, which means fathers. Wherever you see the words the fathers, which is ha'avot in Hebrew, it's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul even refers to the fathers in some of his letters. Again, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, as you remember, was born outside the land and he was brought in. His son Isaac was born in the land, raised in the land, stayed in the land, never left. He died there. His son Jacob was born in the land, but then left and then he died in Egypt. And so now in Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing the Israelites who have now come out of Egypt hundreds of years later. And they're ready to pass back into the land. So to come into the land is a picture of returning to the goals and the 
the holiness, the dedication of the fathers. You know, <clears throat> the book of Malachi ends with how in the last days before Messiah comes, Elijah will come and he'll restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and of the children to the fathers. He's not just talking about restoring family relations, but taking us, the children, and restoring our hearts back to the hearts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a profound thing. So, anyways, moving on. Now, in Exodus, if we can go back to Exodus for a moment, in chapter 28, verses 2 and 40, we find instructions that God is giving Moses concerning the clothing of Aaron and of his sons, the priest. And in verse 2, he says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory, kavod, and for beauty, tiferet. Some translations say splendor, which is a fine translation. But there are a number of Hebrew words for beauty, but tiferet is my favorite. Tiferet means a beauty that comes out of perfect symmetry and balance. It's something that is very spiritual in nature. In fact, Tiferet is one of the names for Messiah that we find in the prophets. I believe it's in Isaiah. But then verse 40 kind of repeats the same thing. But now it's talking about Aaron's sons. For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for kavod, for glory, and for Tiferet, for beauty. Now, coming over into this week's Torah portion, Kitavo, we read something similar. In Deuteronomy 26, 19, God is promising Israel that when they come into the land, if they keep his commandments and stay faithful to him, he says that he will set you high above all nations that he has made for tehillah, for praise, and for renown, which is a shim, a name. He'll make you with, for a name and for tiferet. And that you shall be a people holy to Adonai your God, as he spoke. Now these verses jump out at me because the clothing for the high priest and for his sons, the other priest, they were to have be clothed with holy garments, it says, garments for glory and for tiferet, for beauty. But now God is saying, I want to make you Israel, if you will be be loyal and faithful to my commandments and live close to me, I will make you people for praise and make you a name, have renown in the land, and for Tiferet. And you shall be a people holy to Adonai. It's almost as if God is saying, I want to put you on as my garment. So I will present myself to the world through my people. And just as the priest and the, and the high priest were clothed in these, these garments of glory and of beauty, I want you to be a garment to me. Now, instead of saying glory and beauty, though, he says praise and renown and beauty. Because I think praise and renown are what glory is supposed to look like. I mentioned in the Psalm 16 study that glory, it talks about the glory of the human being, and your glory is the weight of who you are. 
the weight of who you are. And back when God gave the instructions of Moses concerning the tabernacle and the clothing for the priest, Israel had not yet become who they were supposed to be. They were going to rebel. They were going to test God. They were going to fail, show faithlessness and cowardice, and they were going to delay their entry into the Holy Land for 40 years. But now in Deuteronomy, God is saying, okay, we're going to open up this glory more and reveal what it is. And you will be a people for praise, a people with a name that is recognized around the world, and a people of Tiferet. And I'm going to clothe you as with a holy garment and present myself to the world through my people. I think it's a beautiful connection. Well, let's move on. Oh, by the way, the uh, Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, who lived back in the uh, 1200s, I believe, is also known as the uh, Baal HaTurim, after his great work, uh, the, the Turim that he wrote, his commentary. He said, in the future, the Holy One, blessed is he, will be a crown on the head of each and every righteous person, which may be understood as, he will return to them the very crown with which they crown God in their prayers. It's almost as if they, they crown God in their prayers, they give him glory, they praise him, and they lift him up. And God says, I'm going to do the same for you. What a God we have. What an amazing, humble God who loves his people. Now, moving on down to Deuteronomy 27, verse 2. It says, And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that Adonai your God has given you, you shall erect large stones and plaster them with plaster. Uh, what they were to do is when they cross over, take these large stones, cover them with plaster, and then to record the Torah on the plaster. Whether it was engraved in the plaster or it was painted on the plaster or both or just how they did it, he wanted this Torah to be recorded on these large stones that were covered with white plaster. Now, the phrase, you shall erect, is one word in Hebrew, and it's right here, the hakemata, and it is only found two times in the entire Bible. This is the first or I'm sorry, this is the second place here in Deuteronomy 27.2. But can you guess what the other application was? What else is it that God commanded them to erect? And you shall erect the Hakemota. It's in Exodus 26.30. It says, Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for that you were shown on the mountain. So this word, which is only found two times, is spoken first about the tabernacle they were to wreck, which is going to be a place where God would rest his presence in the midst of his people. The other time it's used is with erecting these large stones, covering them with plaster, recording the Torah on them. So the only two uses of this word have to do with the tabernacle and with the recording of the Torah in a public place. And if we put them side by side, I think we get a beautiful menorah pattern. That God dwells where his Torah is recorded. Where his Torah is proclaimed, you can find God's presence. And when you don't have the Torah, you don't find God's presence on display. So the people were given two things to erect, a tabernacle and also these stones to record the word. 
And if we want God to dwell richly in us as a tabernacle of his presence, of his spirit, we need to have his Torah recorded in our hearts. We need to build his word into our hearts. We need to quit looking at the Torah as a reference book that we look things up in. It's more than that. It is our spiritual nourishment. It is our life. It is the means of connection with God. It is the presence of Messiah in printed form. It's much more than just a reference book. So we want God to dwell in us richly. We must have his word dwelling in us richly as well. And then we come to Deuteronomy 27, verses 15 to 26. Now in our Torah portion, uh, I'm sure you've read it. We know that the, uh, the curses that were pronounced were to be uh, pronounced on Mount Ebal and the blessings on Mount Gerizim. And then the, the blessings and the curses were proclaimed. And after each one, the people would say, Amen. And there's the word Amen, probably the most common Hebrew word in, uh, in, known around the world. The only other word that might be known this well is the word Hallelujah. Not mean is something we normally say after a prayer, but what does it mean? Well, it comes from the word amuna, which means faith. And amen make, basically means to believe. It's very closely related to the word amet or emet, which means truth. And when we say amen at the end of a prayer or at the end of a blessing, it means so be it. I'm counting on it. Let it be so. And so, Amen occurs 12 times in this passage. Uh, the word Amen is only found one time previously, well, twice in one verse. Back in the verse, uh, the book of Numbers, and it's Numbers chapter 5, verse 22, when the Sotah, the woman who suspected of adultery, has the curses written on a parchment, and the curses are read. And if she's innocent, everything will be fine. She'll be blessed. But if, uh, if she's saying she's innocent, but she's really guilty, then these curses come upon her. And at the end, she says, Amen, Amen. She says it twice. Well, the next time we find the word is a way over here in Deuteronomy. So Amen is attached to curses as well as to blessings, saying, let it be so. Now, it's found 12 times here, and what's interesting is that the word amen has a numerical value of 91, which happens to equal the phrase Adonai, yad vav Adonai, which means my master, my Lord. In other words, yad vav is my Lord. And I challenge you that the next time you say amen, every time you say amen, at the end of a blessing, at the end of a prayer, or when someone says wonder, something that you really agree with, you say, Amen, brother. Think of the numerical value of Amen, which is Adonai is my master. Adonai is my Lord. And I'm trusting him to make this so, to bring it about. Chapter 28 contains the curses. The chapter is filled with curses. And and, you know, the rabbis, they count the letters. In fact, a, a scribe is called a sofer in Hebrew, which comes from the words, uh, which means to count. And they count the letters to make sure there are none missing. There are 676 letters in this chapter. 
676 happens to be the numerical value of ra'ut, which means evils. It's the plural word for evil. It also has the same numerical value as to be wicked, blindness, to be cut off, nakedness. It's a numerical value for his harm and also for I will hide. And yet, 676 equals 26 times 26. And as we know, God's name, yadhevah equals 26. And this is just another one of those places where we see that even in unpleasantness and in pain and wickedness and evil, God is still God. Adonai is still my Lord. And he can even use the wickedness in the world. He can even use the wickedness of my own failings. He can use them somehow to bring about good. Shall we sin that grace may then abound, Paul asks. And he answers the question by God forbid. We should never use this principle that God uses everything for his purposes as an excuse to sin. Never, ever do that. But we need to know that God is bigger than our sin. And God is bigger than all the evil and the pain in the world. And even hidden, even hidden in the pain, God's presence is still there. He is the one and only God with whom we have to do. So let's trust him to inundate and infuse everything in creation with his presence and purpose. So here are a few seasonings for Ki Tavo. I hope they're a blessing to you, and I look forward to speaking to you again in our next Torah portion. So until then, may God bless and shalom.